if any of you guys have a prayer ministry and uh, are good at getting the Lord to answer your prayers, the first prayer you need to pray is that the Lord would send Luke Beeling back to us. <laughs> we, we have, uh, we have uh, we, when Luke is with us, we have one good player and then like 19 jokers, you know? And um, no offense to, to the jokers in the house, but most of us just can't get it done like Luke can. Luke can hit like what would be a single for anyone else and make it an inside the park home run somehow. So we, we need him back. So intercessors, uh, there's a little assignment for you. God, get him back before the end of the season. <clears throat> awesome. If you want to, why don't you open up your Bibles to, uh, to the book of Acts this morning? We're going to continue our, um, we're going to continue just uh, what I feel like is an ongoing conversation with you guys that I've been having about, uh, just about the presence of God and our, and our value for it. And, and specifically what I want to get into this morning is I want to, uh, I want to continue to talk about encountering the presence of God. I want, to co- I want to continue talking about this morning how to position ourselves to encounter the Holy Spirit. And um, I'm going to pick up a little bit where we left off last week and then we'll move into some new territory. But I want to talk about positioning ourselves to hear the Holy Spirit. Um, because here's the deal. Uh, we, we say it all the time around here, but, but the, the presence of God is our, is our most precious commodity and I don't even like using the word commodity I'm looking for better language but it's our most it's our most precious asset that we have here at the vineyard I mean we even have a new banner for it in the back y'all like the banner yeah it's our first banner over there on the left and and there's a reason that it's the first banner it's because it's the most important one it's it's the it's the aspect of our DNA that that all the other aspects of our DNA uh, sprang from and and everything that's sort of happened around here uh, we, we hope grows from an encounter in the presence of God. Not just a, a theological understanding of the presence of God, but an actual, an actual encounter. Uh, uh, something that's, that, that's tangible, something that goes beyond human intellect or reasoning. And so, um, and so we just uh, want to press into that more, and I want to talk this morning about positioning ourselves to have an encounter with the presence of God. <clears throat> uh, throughout Scripture, one of the things that we've noticed in the last couple months is that that people who, who are encountered by the presence of God, those are the people who most radically change the culture that they live in. Uh, we, we started in the Old Testament and we worked our way forward, but just a couple examples that we've talked about even in the last couple months. We spent a Sunday and we talked about Gideon. And Gideon is, is, a, is a source of great hope for me because Gideon is essentially a fearful little guy who's, who's trying to get his wheat harvest in in the wine press because he's hiding from Midianites. The Lord comes to him and says, Gideon, you're a mighty warrior. I'm going to be with you. And in further, a little further on in chapter 6, it, the, the Bible says that, that the Holy Spirit came upon Gideon. And it's after the Holy Spirit came upon Gideon that Gideon led literally 300 men against an army of 150,000, and they won. And you go, how, do you, how does that math problem work? You know? But the math works like this. The people who, who are most radically touched, the people who are most radically uh, filled and, and the people who most radically wear, the people who, are, who have the most radical encounters with the Holy Spirit, those are the people who are, who are used by God most radically to change culture. And so it really, for us, it hinges, in, at least in my brain, on this. You know, one of the questions that we need to ask ourselves, uh, especially even now this morning, is do I want to radically change culture? Do I want to be a person who leaves a lasting mark for the kingdom of heaven on the culture that I live in? You might take a second and just ask yourself that now. Because if you don't, then what I have to say really doesn't mean anything. But if you're the kind of person 
who wants to change culture, if you're the kind of person who wants to leave a lasting impact for the kingdom of heaven on the earth, if you're the kind of person who wants to partner with Jesus in exploits of goodness, then, then being impacted by the Holy Spirit is essential. Amen? Amen? And it wasn't just Gideon, but it was also guys like David. I love what it says. I, I just want to read one scripture to you about the life of David. It says in uh, 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, it says, So Samuel took a horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day of the Lord, from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David with power. What's, what's the point? The point is this, that when you get anointed with the presence, power comes on your life. And everybody in the room knows all the sorts, uh, all the exploits that David lived out in his life. You know, Israel was never so united as it was under David's leadership. Israel was never, never so... Uh, uh, never experienced uh, it, it, under David's leadership that was the high watermark of Israel's uh, existence as a nation under David and Solomon's leadership and why well we can connect it right here because Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers and from that day on the spirit of the Lord came upon David and he came upon him in power to have the spirit of the Lord come upon us is to have the power of God rest upon us and to have the power of God rest upon you is to have have the mission of God literally planted in you to, to do exploits and to change culture. And it wasn't just Gideon and it wasn't just David, but it was also the Lord Jesus. Um, in, uh, in Luke chapter 3, Jesus gets baptized. And y'all remember this. When Jesus comes out of the water, I think it's in Mark's gospel, it actually says that the heavens are torn, were torn open and, and a dove comes out of heaven. And it's just, it's just the Holy Spirit coming down on Jesus. And, and, and the gospel writers all comment that, that the presence of God came upon Jesus and remained. It says that that dove came upon him. It didn't just rest upon him for a little while, but it remained. From that point on, in, in Luke chapter 4, it says that Jesus came out of the desert in the power of the Spirit. From that point on, he goes to his hometown and he gives his, his inaugural address. And, and, it, and it's, that, it's at that point that Jesus begins to, to work miracles. It's at that point that Jesus begins to raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, kick out demons, heal the sick, preach good news to the poor, literally turn Turn that whole region upside down. And this is the thing that, that I love about, about Jesus' ministry. Not just that it's radically supernatural and that it, it, that it changed culture the way it did in three years. You have to realize Jesus did this at a time when there was no, uh, when, when communication isn't what it is today. You realize Jesus, Jesus did what he did without, without the internet. He did it without a phone. He didn't, have, he didn't have an iPhone. He didn't have email. He didn't have a website. He didn't have a tape ministry. You know? You think, well, how, how could one guy so radically touched such a, such, a, such a large region and so many people. He did it because the power of the Holy Spirit was on him. And so to, ha to be anointed with the Spirit is to be anointed with power, and to be anointed with power is to be anointed with God's mission for the culture that you're born in. Anybody here have the Holy Spirit? You know, we've got the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you, if you have the Holy Spirit, then you've been anointed with power, and you've been anointed with Jesus' mission for the culture that you were born in, for the, for the location and the geography that you were born in, a.k.a. Campbellsville. You can't say, I have the Spirit, and then not go change something. I know I have a water. There it is. <clears throat> I need it. So that's a little review. At least where I've been living, anyway. And... Um, so here, you know, here's the deal, guys. We're, we're, we're change agents. We're, we're Holy Spirit anointed. We're Holy Spirit empowered change agents for the culture that we live in. And, and, um, and just in case you missed it, maybe, maybe you live in a bubble. Some people do. 
I occasionally meet people who live in a bubble. But in case you missed it, uh, Campbellsville is in great need. Uh, I'm almost to the point where I think everyone's on drugs. <laughs> I mean, you get out and you meet some people, there's about a 98% chance they're on drugs. And if it's not illicit drugs, it's at, it's at least prescription drugs. You know, and, and I, I don't know about you guys, but I bet more than one of us in the room know someone who's going through a nasty divorce right here, right now. Maybe not in our church, but we're connected to someone in our family who's going through a nasty divorce. And uh, you, don't have to go, uh, you don't have to get too nosy into people's lives and, and find out that, that maybe that girl that you work with gets the heck beat out of her a couple times a week. I can't tell you how many times that I, you know, I encounter this stuff regularly. And it's not because I'm a pastor. It's just because I'm living life. and you just, you just ask a couple people the wrong question, and all of this comes out. And so I just want to tell you guys, in case you were living in a bubble, Campbellsville's in great need. Even beyond, even beyond drug abuse, even beyond spouse abuse, even beyond divorce, even beyond all of the relational garbage that people get into, um, there's another thing that just affects our culture, and it's just it's this nasty thing called religion, which makes you think you're okay and you're really not okay. And you don't have to meet very many people, and you run into that one as well. And so we're just, we're, we've been empowered with the Spirit to go, to go into those situations, to go into those homes, to go into those addictions, to go into those, uh, to go into those uh, religious mindsets that keep people locked in prisons of performance and to set them free. That's, that's, you know, why am I here? Anybody ever ask that question? Why am I here? Why do I live here? What is it, what is it that the Lord's doing? Well, you know, He's called you to be a freedom fighter for people who don't know they need freedom and for the people who do know they need freedom. So I want to talk today about positioning ourselves to encounter the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> I want to read a, another piece of scripture to you out of, uh, out of the book of Matthew. It's where we were at last week. It's Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, before we get to Acts. <clears throat> this is what Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 says. <clears throat> it says, Then the eleven disciples went to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. We'll go ahead and read the rest of it. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And last week we were talking about that there's this great promise that's in the, in the Great Commission. And the great promise is of Jesus' presence to be with us, and not just with us for a little while, but it's the promise of pre presence forever. But one of the things that we noticed is that Jesus' promise of presence is connected to, to, being, to, to being engaged in his mission to be a disciple and go make disciples. To the extent I am a disciple, to the extent I go and make disciples, is in some way the extent to which Jesus promises to be with me. He's with me in the mission. And we all saw that last week. But here's the other thing, too, I want us to see, and it's, it's, at there, it's up there in verse 16. Uh, it's, it's a point we talked about just for a second last week, but it's really going to be launching us into what I want to get into this morning. It's in verse 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So if you've got a pen or a pencil this morning or a highlighter, you need to underline to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. See, what, the first thing I want us to realize is this. Obedience puts us in a position to hear from God. Obedience puts us in a position to encounter Jesus obedience puts us in a position to have an encounter to have an experience with the holy spirit you realize 
that if the disciples had remained in, in unbelief, because just a few hours before, uh, that, you know, people had been say, you know, people, that people, they had heard reports that Jesus was maybe resurrected and they didn't believe it. And so some women came to get them and, and they finally believed it. And so they came. If, if the disciples had not, had not responded to the word of God to them through the messengers that God had sent to them, they would have missed an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And they wouldn't have just missed an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. They would have missed their life's calling. You see that? See, it's intense. See, the 12, we're down to 11 at this point. But the 11 who remain, they, they get their life's calling from the encounter with Jesus. And it's really simple. They get it because of obedience. Obedience puts us in a place. Obedience puts us in a place to have an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And obedience is the result of submission to the teacher by the student. The one who, who obeys has submitted to the one who has spoken, and this is the essence of the discipled lifestyle. You know, um, some of us in here, we, may, we might bristle at the word obedience. We might bristle at words like obedience. We might bristle at words like obey. We might bristle at those concepts. And if you don't like those concepts, then just, then just say, uh, then just say uh, disciple, because this is the essence of the discipleship relationship. The essence of discipleship is to have enough, uh, to have enough sense about yourself to know who the master is and, and, to, and to follow the master. You don't, like, you don't like the word obedience? Just use the word follow. Following Jesus. If you actually follow Jesus, if you set your heart to actually follow him in his footsteps, to do the things that he says, to go where he goes, to say what he says, then you're, you're, actually, you're actually putting yourself in a position to have a greater encounter with the Lord. And, and here's the other thing about obedience as it relates to encounter with the Lord. Progressive obedience leads to progressive revelation and progressive experience with the Lord. What do I mean? This is what I mean. Jesus here, he tells the guys, he gives them a small word. Essentially, it's a small word. He, he sends word to them through some women who have, who have met an angel and who have also met the resurrected Lord. He sends the word, and the word is, go to this mountain in Galilee, there you'll meet Jesus. It's, it's actually a pretty small command. It doesn't cost much. It doesn't cost the disciples much. Can we all agree that? Doesn't cost the disciples much. Not much risk involved in at least walking out to the mountain to see if, you know, resurrected Jesus might be there. That one act of obedience puts the disciples in a position to get a greater call from the Lord. See, progressive obedience leads to progressive revelation. Progressive obedience, progressive, the progressive following of Jesus leads to a, an increased uh, encounter with the Lord Jesus. After they, after they uh, obey in the small command of go to the mountain, Jesus gives them the large command, which is their life's call, go and make disciples of nations. You know, there's a lot of people, maybe even in this room, who, who have missed out or, or who, who live in, a, in, a, in, a, in some degree of turmoil over what is it that I'm supposed to do with my life. And I want to tell you that what, I am, what it is I'm supposed to do with my life is directly connected to the little things that the Lord has asked me to do the little things that he's asked me to go, the little places that he's asked me to reach, the little places that he's asked me to reach, the little places that he's asked me to risk. When I take a risk with the Lord, it, it leads to increased revelation, increased experience with the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> Anybody feeling you know, distant from the Lord? You don't have to put your hand up. Anybody feels like the Lord's a, a million miles away? Well, then just go back to the place where you last found him Get into that encounter in your head and in your heart. Ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, take me back to this place. 
Take me back to that day. Take me back to that encounter. And whatever it was that was born in that encounter, then, then, then humble yourself to walk in that encounter until you get another word. Progressive obedience leads to progressive experience and a progressive revelation of the Son of God. By the way, that's the way I lead my kids. My own children. <clears throat> my own children, we live together. And uh, as, they, as, they, as they move in progressive obedience, they learn progressively more about their mother and father. And I progressively turn them loose with more and more and more. See, I, 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 have, I have a relationship with River that's different than my relationship with Seth and Magnolia. Not just, not just because they're different kids, but because they're at a different spot in life. And so, so River has responded to me, and there's, there's a trust there that I can, I can turn him loose with more, you know? I can trust River with a butter knife. I, can't, I still can't trust Magnolia with a butter knife, you know? <clears throat> and, and there's some of that that's with the Lord as well. It's, it's this progressive nature. It's, 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 a, it's how do you mature in the Lord? It's just, just follow Jesus, and, and, you know, it's really simple. Do what he says. Do what he says in the little thing. It'll lead to bigger things. It's the reward of faithfulness. And Jesus always rewards faithfulness. So here we are. We're in the, the book of Acts. Chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. This is still Jesus, okay? And this is still uh, the disciples with him. He's, at this point, he has uh, spent 40 days with the disciples after his resurrection talking about the kingdom of God. They've been learning the finer points of the kingdom. And uh, sometimes I like to meditate on what that, those 40 days must have been like. <clears throat> because at this point, resurrected Jesus is doing crazy stuff like walking through walls, okay? You think that Jesus was freaky before? Man, resurrected Jesus will absolutely freak you out. You could be at home with the doors locked and he can walk through the wall. Put your hand in my side. Put your, put your fingers in the holes of my hands. Um, and so he spent, so the disciples spent 40 days with, with uh, Jesus who can walk through walls and who can still eat fish. This guy's off the chain at this point. And so they're learning, uh, they're learning, uh, they're learning the kingdom of God. Can you imagine having, having resurrected Jesus teach you for 40 days straight about the finer points of the kingdom? That changed your life. So here we have it. Verses, uh, verses 4 and 5. <clears throat> this is on one occasion while he was eating with them. He gave them this command. Now, as we read this, keep in mind that progressive obedience leads to progressive encounter, okay? He gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Let's stop right there. Even though this doesn't have much to do with my message, I, I, I want to say one thing about this. Jesus is saying, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. And um, for some of us who are prophetic in here, this is the essence of the prophetic, of, of the prophetic ministry. Uh, Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 19, I, I, don't, I can't do anything on my own. I only do what I see the father doing. I only hear what I hear the father saying. And... Um, and so this is, he's actually sharing with the disciples here in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, what he's already heard from the Father. Isn't that cool? That's, that's what the prophetic is. It's to get with the Father and to speak to someone the Father's opinion about them. To speak to someone, you know, to speak what you hear from the Father. It's not like you have to make something up. It's just you get with them 
And there's this communion that happens. So he gives them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So again, Jesus gives the disciples specific instructions, and again, the disciples follow, follow him. And, and, and here's the deal. This is one of the, one of the great encouragements I get from this, uh, uh, from this simple uh, arrangement that Jesus has, uh, has set up for us, is, uh, is this, that obedience, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't hinge on my abilities. Uh, this is really great. Obedience doesn't hinge on my abil uh, abilities. Uh, my quali the quality of my discipled life with Jesus, uh, the quality of any disciple, doesn't necessarily hinge on their own abilities. It doesn't, it doesn't rest on my own smarts. It doesn't rest on my intellect. It doesn't, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't rest on, on my own bravery. It, it, it's, not, it's not rooted in, in my people skills. Um, I need better people skills. But being a good disciple isn't, isn't, isn't a measure of my own abilities. And uh, so there should be some freedom that's released in that. Here's the deal. Being a good disciple actually doesn't even require that you be smart at all. Uh, you can be a, a, a lunatic. You can be an idiot and be a really terrific disciple. I know some. Everybody in the room ought to just say, thanks, Lord, you know. You don't have to be a certain age, and you don't have to have certain skills. Here's what you actually have to have. All you need is, is a heart that has enough wisdom to know who to submit to and when. It's, it's, it's the, you want to know what wisdom is? Wisdom is knowing who to submit to and then following through. The other side of that is this. You know, the kingdom of heaven is, is not opposed to smarts. It just doesn't rest on them. <clears throat> Here's the other thing about obedience, positioning ourselves for a greater encounter with the Holy Spirit. Jesus has given, he's given the guys the command in verses 4 and 5. And then let's look at, uh, let's look at uh, verses 12 through 14 in, in, in the book of Acts there, chapter 1. So Jesus tells his guys what to do in verses 4 through 5. Then, then verse 12. Then they returned from Jerusalem to Jerusalem, from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. And then verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And so there's this really simple arrangement. Jesus gives a command, and, and the disciples, to the best of their ability, they begin to follow in this. And, and here's another thing I want to just point out about um, obedience or following Jesus as it, as it relates to positioning ourselves for greater encounter with Jesus and for greater encounter with the Holy Spirit. It's this, that at the moment that we, uh, at the moment that we decide to follow Jesus, at the moment that we put one step forward in obedience, what we've actually done is we've just stepped into our next encounter with the Lord. Um, it's not like it's a million miles away. At the moment you've turned your heart, at the moment you, you've set your you've set your heart to follow, you, you've actually stepped into your next encounter with the Lord Jesus. And here's why that's important. 
it's really important that we continue having encounter with the Lord Jesus because my impact on, on culture is, is directly related to the encounter I've had with the Lord. So important that we continue to have an encounter with the Lord because <clears throat> my impact on, on culture could be measured by my, by, my, by my experience with the Lord. We could, we could actually say it the other way. My, my experience with the Lord can be measured by my impact on, on, the, on, on culture, my impact on, the, on family, my impact on the, the town that I live in. And so it's, it's not about, when we talk about having an impact on culture, when we talk about meeting the Lord, when we talk about um, seeing things set right for the kingdom, uh, I just want to tell you guys what it's not about. It's, it's not about all of us getting bullhorns and uh, <clears throat> maybe buying a van and going down to the corner, you know? Uh, it, it's not about getting a, a tape ministry. Some of y'all missed that Leon reference. Uh, but it's not, about, it's not about getting a tape ministry and a tour bus and, you know, hitting the road, you know? Impacting, you know, sometimes, sometimes when we, when we, uh, when we, part of, let me put it this way, part of, uh, for some of us, part of our inhibition toward, toward fully submitting to Jesus is this notion that, man, if I fully submit to Jesus, if I fully lay my life down to be a follower, then, man, he's going to put me in a monkey suit and, you know, give me a golden microphone. And I don't want that, you know? I mean, I, I don't know. I, I struggled that with that for years. And, and what I want to tell you guys is that's not necessarily true. Uh, the Lord, what he's really looking for is he's looking, he's looking for followers, followers who, who have set their hearts fully to, to do whatever he says in the place that he's planted them. <clears throat> and that could be your school, that could be your job, that could be your family. And just watch out what would happen. You know, the Lord, the Lord really needs... The Lord needs teachers who don't just teach, but who pastor their classrooms. You know, the Lord needs, the Lord needs salesmen who are not just out making a dollar for their family, but who, 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 who encourage and who, 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 in, uh, who literally pastor the, the rest of the people who work with them, whether they're the boss or they're not. You guys know the people you work with. They need pastored. Yeah, so in verses 4 through 5, Jesus tells his disciples what to do. In verse 8, he, he, he gives them a little, uh, even more insight about what's going to happen. But then in, in verses 12 through 14, the disciples begin to obey. <clears throat> and their obedience takes, takes form, doesn't it? And, and I want us to, to look, at, look at the form here that, that their obedience to, to the words of Jesus takes. Jesus says in, in verse 4 and 5, he says, I want you to wait in Jerusalem for the gift my father promised. By the time we get to, the, to verses 12 through 14, how is it that the disciples have decided to wait? They've, they've decided to wait by waiting in prayer. It's not that they just decided to go back to Jerusalem <coughs> and uh, have a barbecue and, and you know, go on a camp out for 10 days. It's not that they had, had decided to, to wait by, you know, hey, you know, Guys, call me. You know, I'm going to go back and get in the boat, and I'm going to go fishing. If something happens, let me know. We'll get back together some other time. It wasn't that, that waiting was just geographic in nature. They, they went ahead, and they, they applied Jesus' word to wait, and then they, then they made wait an active word, and they made it active by, by, by engaging heaven in prayer. And so that's, that's, that's the second thing I want to talk about this morning when it comes to positioning ourselves for an encounter with the Holy Spirit. There's something about obedience that positions ourselves for an encounter with the Holy Spirit, but there's something about prayer, 
There's something about actively engaging heaven, actively engaging heaven over the promise that Jesus made them in verse 8, that the Holy Spirit would come on them in power. There's something about actively engaging heaven in prayer that positions ourselves for a move of the Holy Spirit. Talk about prayer just for a second as it relates to encountering the Holy Spirit. By the, time, uh, by the time that Jesus leaves the planet, by the time his feet have lifted off of, off of the soil and he's gone up into the clouds, I, I can't get over that picture. That would, have been a, that would have been some kind of deal. You've been around with Jesus. You know his mom. You know his dad. <clears throat> you know his brothers. You've been with him for three years. You've seen him do amazing things, even just within the last... 40 or 50 days, Jesus walks through walls. And then you just see the dude take off, you know? That would have been a strange day. And, um, but, I, but here's the thing I want you to get about Jesus' ascension is, is that it would, have, uh, it, would have rocked, it would have rocked your heart if you had been one of those disciples. If you'd been with Jesus for three and a half years, if you'd seen him do what he did, if you'd, if you'd heard his words, if you'd heard his ministry, if you had received from Jesus in the way that these guys had received from ministry, when Jesus leaves the planet, it would have rocked you. Even though he told you it was going to happen, and even though he had made a promise that something better was coming, it would have rocked you. Think, think about your very best friend. Think about seeing your very best friend float off of the planet. Changes, right? So there's a group of you and, and your entire identity, for literally your entire identity together as a, as a tiny community, as a, as a group, of, as a band of brothers, as a group of 11, has been, has been centered around knowing this one man, Jesus, and then he floats off of the planet. Imagine that day. Imagine, imagine knowing that for the last three and a half years you've been with Jesus, you've, been, you've seen his ministry, you've seen the, the unbelievable things that he does, and imagine... Imagine, here's the thing that we sometimes lose sight of, is that while Jesus is healing the sick, raising the dead, kicking out devils, some people aren't excited about that ministry, and so literally, especially for the last year and a half, Jesus' ministry is met with great opposition, okay? So Jesus' ministry is met with great opposition. Uh, your entire life, the call, your purpose, your destiny in life is found in this one man. Not only that, but your collective call as a group your your community has been assembled because of one man and then the one man leaves that would have been a tough day even if he had told you about it it would have been a tough day and so by the time we get to the acts uh, chapter 1 verse 12 and 14 prayer meeting the disciples would not have been giddy i don't think so i think they would have been bummed out i mean could we all agree i think that would be an accurate statement it would have been that would have been a tough day even if you knew that and even if you know that Jesus has told you before and something good is coming, that would have been a tough day. Imagine that the Lord of glory lived with you for three and a half years. Who could know you better than, than God come to earth? Imagine your very best friend, and imagine how you've, you've told your very best friend everything about you, and they've told, them, they've told you about themselves, and even, even the dark things that even your mom and dad don't know, you've shared with this person. You know what? If Jesus... If you had hung out with Jesus for three and a half years, it would have been way more than your best friend. And then he leaves. It would have been a bummer of a day. And so by the time we get to the prayer meeting, Jesus says, hey guys, I don't want you to leave. I don't want you to go anywhere. And the reason I don't want you to go anywhere is because you can't do my mission without power. And so by the time we get to the, to the prayer meeting in, in verse 12, Jesus is gone and the disciples would have been pretty bummed out. 
But they had set themselves, they had been trained for the last three years to be followers of Jesus and to do his word. But it wasn't about just hanging out until something happened. They actively engaged with heaven over the promise that Jesus had made them that something better would come. And so there's something about prayer. There's something about prayer even in the midst of disappointment that, that allows us to encounter the Holy Spirit. The disciples, I believe, would have been disappointed. And there's something about, there's something about saying, disappointment won't define me. You know, there's something, there's something about saying that my present circumstances don't line up with what Jesus is saying. And my, but even in, even in spite of that, my, my present circumstances, my disappointment won't define me. And at the same time, I'm not going to just follow Jesus uh, in, in, the, in a religious letter of the law sort of way. I'm going to, I'm going to ag- aggressively apprehend heaven for what Jesus has asked for. And it puts us in a, in, a, in a position to be encountered by the Holy Spirit. Because we all know what happens in Acts chapter 2, right? Before we go any further, I would like to also point out that, that the, the disciples, they're actually changing, okay? They're actually changing. Even, even here in Acts chapter 1, I would like to suggest to you that their feet are already wet with, with the presence of the Holy Spirit that would come just a few days later. I, I would like to suggest to you that they're already beginning to stand in uh, the cataclysmic outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was going to come in just a day or two. What I mean is this. <clears throat> just a few days before, Jesus uh, was about to be crucified, and he has a couple of his best disciples, Peter, James, and John. Those are his best disciples, his, his crew, his boys. And he, he takes them to the garden to pray. And how long can Peter, James, and John hang out in prayer? They can't even hang out for one hour, right? Jesus actually gets mad at them and says, can you guys not hang with me for even one hour and pray? But what happens here? Jesus tells them, don't leave the city, but wait for the gift my father promised. The disciples, they go back into this, the city and, and they don't just follow Jesus in the letter of the law in a religious sort of way. They begin, to, they begin to yank on heaven for his promise. And what happens? They pray for 10 days. I want to tell you something. That, that being able to sustain yourself or being able to continue in prayer is a move of the Holy Spirit. It takes the Holy Spirit to even do that. And so the disciples are already standing in what was going to come. It, it's, it, there's a reason it's called baptism of the Holy Spirit. See, when, you, when, when you're baptized in the Spirit, you're already standing in what you're going to get more of. It's like when, you get into the, it's like when we go to the, to the lake and baptize someone in water. Before you go under it, you're already standing in it. It's already a, li- a real and a living reality in your life. And so there's, there's something about the disciples. You know, the, there's a cataclysmic outpouring. Everybody's going to get hammered. Uh, outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's coming in chapter 2. But it's actually already present in chapter 1 because something has changed in the disciples. They're actually able to more fully follow Jesus now than they were before. And you say, what's the difference? It's, it's that drops were already falling on them. That room was already primed. At the moment they said, I'm going to follow the Lord, that was already primed. When Jesus went up, something got released even before, even before the tongues of fire came down. And then, you know, a lot of people, uh, they talk about verse 14, that they all join constantly together in prayer. And there's a, you know, a lot of people have preached a lot about unity and how we, how we need unity. And, you know, if we get unity, if we can get all the churches together and if we can all agree, then, you know, the Holy Spirit will come and, there's, there's some truth to that, but here's the deal. You can't get people together apart from a work of the Holy Spirit. You can actually get everybody together and put them in the room, and there can be no unity. You know, there can be a lot of laughter, smiles, and back slapping. I've been to some of those meetings. They're horrible, you know? 
you know, it's cool to be together, but I mean, there's not, there's not, some, there's not a sense that there's a, a unified experience. There's not a, there's not a sense that we're, that we're on the same page. I've been to some of those meetings. You know, we try to manipulate, we try to manipulate that by putting the, the cart before the horse in some ways. But what I want to tell you is that unity is an expression of the Holy Spirit being present among a people. You know, I mean, it's back to that thing. The disciples would have been tremendously disappointed. The circumstances would have been pretty darn scary. By scary, I mean this. Just a few days ago, they had crucified Jesus for this stuff. Well, Jesus has conveniently left the planet. Presumably, who's the next to get killed? Well, that'd be us, right? And that's probably what they're thinking. So when they're in that room, they're thinking, well, A, my best friend is gone, and now we're left to the wolves, you know? There's something about, there's something about the presence of the Holy Spirit that can bring a group together to, to yank on heaven's chain and actively engage in Jesus' promise in prayer. Prayer puts us in a position to receive from the Holy Spirit. Here's the other thing about prayer, especially prayer that continues for 10 days. Um, if you've been a believer for any, any time at all, you know this is true. Prayer is an expression of hunger. Y'all believe that? Prayer is an expression of hunger. You will end up praying for the things you care most about. You will end up praying for the things you care most about in the same way that you will eat what you like most. I don't know about you guys, I drink Coke every day. It's really bad for me. I drink too many. But it's so good that I will have one. Most days I'll have two. I've been known to have four. See, there's something about prayer. It, prayer defines, prayer, here's the deal. The things you pray about, those are the most precious things to you. Uh, there's something about prayer. To continue in prayer, uh, it's connected to hunger. It, it's connected to what drives you. It's connected to what gets you out of bed in the morning. You know, if we did just a quick survey in the room, you know, what do you guys pray about? You know, we all pray about, for the most part, the same kinds of things. Everybody in here probably prays for their family, right? You pray for your mom, your dad, and your, and your brothers and sisters first. Why? Because they're the most important to you. They're the most important to you. It, it, defines, it defines what's important to us. And prayer, especially remaining in prayer, is an issue of hunger. It's, 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 the, it's that part that you're willing to fight for and battle for. In the midst of disappointment and in, in the midst of fear, just like these disciples. Prayer and expectation, they're extensions, they're extensions of hunger. And, and here's, here's what I want to get on with this, is that... Nothing so attracts the presence of God. Nothing so attracts the eye of Jesus. Nothing so attracts the eye and the heart of God like hunger. Nothing. Nothing so attracts the eye and the heart of God like hunger. I think Ray's going to put it up. You don't have to, you don't have to turn there. But um, I'm going to look at Mark chapter 8. We're going to look at the first three verses here. Keep in mind that nothing so attracts the eye and the heart of God like hunger. This is, what, this is what Mark writes for us. He says, During those days another large crowd gathered, and since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to them, and he said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me for three days, and they have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they'll collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. What's the point? Well, let me give you a little bit of background here. This is, this is out in the wilderness with Jesus. It's a camp meeting that's lasted three days. No one has any food. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, we have to feed these guys because if they go home right now, they'll collapse on the way. They've had nothing to eat. 
What's the point? The point is this. Why would people hang out in the desert and not eat to be with Jesus? Why would they do that? Because Jesus satisfies their hunger. There's something about the Lord Jesus that satisfies. And, and here's, what, here's what these people, this is what these people had decided at some point. They decided that being in the desert with Jesus and no food is good. It's a good deal. They decided that being in the desert, hot with no shelter, is a good deal so long as Jesus is there. There's something about hunger that draws from the Lord. The woman pressed through the crowd and she grabs a hold of Jesus' garment and power goes out of him. There's something about There's something about hunger and there's something about desperation, especially when it's mixed with prayer, that puts us in a spot to encounter the Holy Spirit. By the way, you'll pray for what you like. You'll pray for what's important to you. Prayer defines that for us. Prayer defines our hunger issues. This is what, this is, I want to give you this picture. This is what prayer is. Prayer is a hungry hand reaching into a cupboard. That's literally what prayer is. It's a hungry hand reaching into into the cupboard. And um, because of that, a prayerless life, a life that uh, maybe at one point was full of prayer, a life whose, uh, whose hungers were voiced uh, but, a, but a life that has, has long since left that, a, a, a life that's now become dormant with respect to prayer, a prayerless life is a satisfied life. And I mean that not in a positive way, but in, in, in the negative. A prayerless life. W- w- and you can just run this barometer. If, if some of you all are real honest in here, you know, we could talk about this for days because I know it's been true for me. The times when my prayer life has gone to zero, it's the times that I've simultaneously satisfied myself with lesser things. You just, you know, take 10 seconds. You'll know, it's just the truth. When you begin to, when you begin to draw, uh, when you begin to draw your nourishment, when satisfaction begins to come from things other than the kingdom of heaven, when satisfaction begins to uh, come from things other than Jesus and the precious Holy Spirit, your prayer life will go down. It's something, just, there's a dullness that comes over you and and there's there's a satisfaction that enters you that will actually do you mortal harm. Because it keeps you from it keeps you from a profound experience of the Holy Spirit coming. See, we, we have to be, in order to position ourselves for a further encounter with Jesus, we have to be committed to being His follower, and we have to be committed to bringing uh, bringing our hungry heart to Him in prayer and engaging heaven for the promise that He loves to give. Jesus loves to give the Holy Spirit. In fact, I'm convinced it's the thing He loves to give most. It's his favorite thing. So satisfaction has to, come from, has to come from the Son of God, from an active experience of the Son of God. That's what has to be where my heart settles. That has to be where my heart finds its rest. That has to be the place where, where, uh, where the shalom of God enters me. There has to be a connection between an encounter with Jesus, finding satisfaction in him. <clears throat> Jesus says this in John chapter 6, verse 35. He says to people, and it's about this very same thing. He says to them, I'm the bread of life, and he who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. See, satisfaction, true satisfaction, is found in encounter with Jesus. Satisfied is not just found in, in um, 
found in Jesus, but it's actually found in pursuing Jesus. Listen to John 6.35 again. I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and who believes in me will never be thirsty. It's not just, it's not just found in Jesus as if that's where the end. It's that, it's that, uh, it's that, that even the pursuit of the Lord satisfies something in us. Let me, let me tell you this. This is the strange thing. This is where I, I want to just throw a, a bit of a, the mystery of God bomb on you here, okay, for a second. Here's, here's, here's some mystery of God for you. Nothing can satisfy except for the pursuit of Jesus. Yet the more I get him, the more I want him. Have you experienced that? It's the, it's the most profound mystery of life. Nothing satisfies my heart like an encounter with the resurrected Son of God. Yet the more I encounter the resurrected Son of God, the more I'm left wanting. The more my heart pursues. You see, that's what Jesus says. He says, anyone who comes to me, I'm the bread of life. Anyone who comes to me, he's satisfied. The pursuit, it's pursuing Jesus. It's not even, it's not even that there's one day where you throw your arms around him and then you're done finish forever, go on about your life, satisfied. It's that the pursuit of Jesus brings satisfaction. You're a dissatisfied person? Pursue the Lord. Jesus says this in, in John chapter 4, verse 34. Jesus, and this is where, this is Jesus' woman at the well encounter. Jesus says to them, he says this. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, Jesus at this point had sent the disciples off to go get food while he's, he's, he's with the Samaritan woman at the well, and he sent his disciples to go get some bread in town. They get back, and Jesus tells them, hey, guys, don't worry about it. I got food you don't know about. And they said, well, what bread do you have? And he says, well, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. What's he getting at? There's something, and I want to connect this back to being a follower and, and being an obedient follower. There's something about being a follower of Jesus there's something about obedience. There's something about hearing the word of God and then doing the word of God that, that is food and it's nourishment to you. And there's something about that, that, that encounter, that exchange between you and God. There's something, about, there's something about the positive exchange between you and God uh, of word and obedience that leads to ultimate satisfaction and it's food, it's nourishment for your insides. That's what Jesus said it was for him. Jesus said, I'll pass on the bread that you guys brought. I'm satisfied. Think about this. Think about the times that the Lord, uh, the Lord gave you some, uh, some task at hand. Think about the times that you went and did it, whatever it was. Maybe you went on a foreign mission trip. Maybe you just cooked one of the pregnant ladies who had just had a baby a meal and you took it over to their house. Maybe you, I mean, just fill in the blank, but think about the times that you know you got, a, you got a word from the Lord and the Lord said, do this, and you went and did it. Was it not satisfying? Was it not? Yeah, there's something about, there's something about doing the will of the one who sends you that ends up being nourishment and satisfaction for you. See, hunger, hunger is really a good thing. When a person isn't hungry, it means they're sick. See, hunger, hunger keeps us, hunger keeps us fed and nourished. A, a person who isn't hungry, there's something wrong with that person. And if a person stays not hungry long enough, that person will be dead. Quite apart, from, quite apart from even filling your life up with garbage that isn't from Jesus. Quite apart from that whole scenario altogether. A person who isn't hungry, man, hunger, hunger protects and preserves your life. So it's about nourishing ourselves 
<clears throat> on the things that will bring us life. And that's actually what spiritual hunger is. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's an awareness of my need. It's an awareness. It's, it's, it's being attuned to my need for God. It's, 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 an, it's an awareness that I really need the Lord. That's what spiritual hunger is. And it'll drive you to prayer. Um, I don't know if, if you all know this, but when a, when a mother has a baby, it's the baby who determines how much milk the mom will produce. Milk is produced based upon the baby's hunger. Got a real hungry baby? Mom will produce. There'll be enough. Isn't that wild? This is something that's even wilder. This, is, this, 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 this principle of, of hunger providing nourishment with babies and moms, it, it's so true that a mom can breastfeed a baby that she hasn't had. There was a woman, this is bizarre, there was a woman in my store who came to my store. She adopted a baby from Guatemala. She's never had a baby, never had a baby adopted a baby, and breastfed that baby. You say, how does that happen? It's the, the baby's hunger put mom into provision mode. Isn't that wild? Man, what does that say about an encounter with the Holy Spirit? I'll talk to you about two more things and then we'll be done. I want to talk to you just for one, I want to just outline here real quick about partnering in hunger. So in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, Jesus gives the command. We'll just read through this, okay? He says, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Spirit. Then in verse 8, he says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Then in verse 12, this is what the disciples did. They responded. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. And they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And then Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4. This is the results. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. There... They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So here's the deal. Partnering with, partnering with the Word, partnering with Jesus brings results. When, we, when, we, when, Jesus, gives, when Jesus gives the Word, when we, set our, when we set our heart to do it, not just set our heart to do it, but we actually do it, results come. Jesus says, don't go anywhere Wait in Jerusalem. They wait in Jerusalem. They wait a specific way. They pull on heaven with prayer. And then Acts chapter 2, results come. And here's, the, here's the great thing. This is what I love. Um, is that Jesus tells 11 people, don't go anywhere. And we got to get this, okay? Jesus tells 11 people, don't go anywhere. You can't do my mission without my power. He says, don't go anywhere. Don't leave Jerusalem. They go back to the house. And by the time they get to the house, they've got a few more people there, okay? And then by the time that Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, one through five happen, there's 120 there. What's the point? The point is this, that my obedience really affects everybody in the room, and yours does too. There's an experience of the Holy Spirit that, that can be magnified if even just a couple find the Lord. You know, I mean, he, he gave this word to 11, and the, and the 11 followed hard after it, and then what happened? Gosh, 100, over 100 more people got to experience the benefits of what the 11 paid a price for. 
And here's the deal. If anybody in the room is experiencing, experiencing blessing, either in the spirit or in the natural, someone else probably paid the price for you to walk in that. And so we partner with Jesus. And uh, here's what I want to I point out about partnering with Jesus, because there's two camps involved in partnering with Jesus, and they're both kind of right. There's two camps. In verses 4 and 5, Jesus says, don't go anywhere. In verse 8, he promises, he says, the Holy Spirit will come on you in power, and you'll be my, you'll be my witnesses in, in Jerusalem and, and to the ends of the earth, okay? So there's, there's, this, there's this camp out there that says, well, if the Lord promised it, he'll do it, okay? Y'all are aware of that camp. But then there's, then there's this other camp over here, and it's the, it's the 12 through 14 camp, and it's the camp who says, well, you know, the, the key to an outpouring of the Holy Spirit is just that we have to hunger enough, and that we have to pray enough, and if we hunger and pray enough, then we'll get an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And there may be times when that's true, but I want to tell you this, that the best, the best marriage of, of the move of God is when we pray for what Jesus has promised. You know, some people bust their heads in prayer over things that God hasn't even promised or said. Let me, let me put it this way. I have found it, I have found this to be true. I have found that prayer is a lot more enjoyable and it's a lot easier when I'm partnering with heaven on issues that heaven is already into. You know? It's a, it's, it's a, it's a lot more fun to engage heaven with what God has already said I want to do in your location. You know? You, know, you meet people, you, you just meet some people sometimes, you know, they love the Lord but they're just not real happy and you, you you investigate a little while and, and you find out, man, it's because they've been running into the wall, you know, asking for something that the Lord just hasn't let go of yet. And sometimes he changes his mind and lets go of it, but there's this partnership. And there's two camps in the body of Christ. There's the camp that says, well, you know, if God promised it, then it's up to him to do it, you know? And we'll be here. I'm open to it. You've heard people say that, right? I'm open to a move of the Holy Spirit, which really means, you know, if one fell on my head, then <clears throat> maybe I would be okay with it. But if it requires that, that I pursue it at all, then I'm, you know, not for it. So there's that camp, but then there's the other camp that just says, well, we just have to want it. All we have to have is faith, and if we just all get together and we all pray enough, then, then it'll happen. And I want to tell you, it's not true. If that, would, if that were the case, then we'd have worldwide revival in Kansas City 24-7. They pray 24-7. I love Kansas City. It's a great ministry. But, th but there's a connection between partnering with what heaven wants to do in prayer. I've found that it makes prayer more enjoyable. It's a little bonus round. So I want to talk to you guys here at the very end about what God has promised us at this house, okay? Here are just some things, and this isn't, this isn't even a, uh, you know, an exhaustive list, and uh, everybody in here could add their own part to this, because everybody in here has, uh, has been with us. If you've been with us for any time at all, you, you've had the Lord speak to you a part of what He wants to do here. But here's just some things that the Lord's promised to us. The Lord's promised to, uh, to us at this house that, there'd be, that there would be uh, outpouring in Kentucky, and that it would be statewide, north to south, east to west, every single county. The, the, Lord, the Lord gave, uh, gave some other guys and gave me this prophetic word that, that Kentucky was an upper room state. There was 120 in the upper room when the Holy Spirit fell on them. And we have 120 counties in Kentucky. And, and, and the Lord, the Lord uh, this is what he literally, when he looks at Kentucky, he says, that's my upper room state. And so the Lord's promised us, but not just us, he's promised the whole state, uh, statewide outpouring. That's a place we could partner with the Lord in prayer on. I also think, by the way, that when the Lord says Kentucky's an upper room state, he's talking about a kind of state. He's not just saying, you know, he's not just saying I want to pour the Holy Spirit out, but when he says, when he says Kentucky, you're an upper room state, 
he's talking about a specific kind of people. He's actually talking about a prayer and worship people. That's what he's actually talking about. <clears throat> That's what the upper room was about. He's talking about an apostolic prayer and worship people. That's one of the promises. Um, a good friend of mine who, um, who's really sweet, he called me last year, had a really crazy experience with the Lord, and he, he said, Adam, this is, this is what the Lord showed me. He said, the Lord showed me that worship is going to leave leave the church and um, leave the, the vineyard church in Campbellsville and it's going to leave your house and it's going to influence uh, Nashville and Atlanta and from there it's going to influence the nation that's a good word isn't it but, yeah this guy called me and he says hey I've got, a, I've got this picture what happens what's going to happen is what, what's going on literally what's happening what's happening in your place is going to go down the road it's going to go to, a, to Nashville first then it's going to go to Atlanta and then from there it's going to go to the nation Some other promises that the Lord has made us. <clears throat> uh, we had we had a really great service here about six months ago. Bree called it second service. Um, most people left, which is unfortunate. But if you stayed, you remembered it. Um, but what we did is we we spent about an hour just prophesying the next five years at the vineyard. And um, one of the words that came out, and um, it's been it's impacted our staff for whatever reason. Uh, it's been one of those words that that's just kind of resonated in our staff but one of the words that came out that day was that the Lord wanted to build a runway in Campbellsville that was sufficient to land a, a, a jumbo jet on uh, several people got this picture of this jumbo jet this giant uh, giant enormous jumbo jet but it couldn't land here because there wasn't a runway big enough for it and so the Lord had, the Lord's promised us that he's going to build he's going to build a runway big enough for the jumbo jet of his presence to come in on that's a good word Another word that the Lord has promised us is he's promised us that this house, and by this house I mean this church, he's promised us that this house would be a house that would uh, train, equip, and release uh, the prophetic. And that we would train, equip, and release prophetic people. And uh, I feel like the Lord, the Lord wants to train, equip, and release hundreds, if not thousands, of prophetic people from right here. And turn them loose into our state. Um, Another promise that the Lord has made us is, is, that, uh, is that our house, uh, this is a promise that the Lord gave to me through a couple of people <clears throat> last year, is that our house would be, a, would be a, first and foremost a house of worship and a house of praise and that there would be joy in the house. And, and you know, one of the things we talk about here a lot is that we talk about that we're going to choose joy. You know, here's the deal. You can read through the Psalms and you'll find every human emotion in the Psalms. And it's a good thing. Uh, the Lord is not offended by anger. And the Lord's not offended by disappointment. And he's not, he's, not defended by, he's not offended by the times when you get a little saggy and you sing, a, you sing a sad song to him. And he's not offended by lament. But one of the things that the Lord has told us about our house is that we're going to be a house of joy. And so one of the things that we talk about even, even amongst ourselves, especially on staff, is that, you know, <clears throat> whether it's good or whether it's bad, we're just choosing joy. And especially this year, you know, have you guys noticed, we don't do a lot of down tunes starting this year. We used to do a lot more worship here. It was a little... We, we, we take, you know, a song or two every set, uh, used to, like even last year, and just turn it down a little bit. We don't do that much anymore. And the reason is because we've just tried to put some feet to this thing that the Lord wants to do here, and he wants to release real joy. And so we're just saying we're choosing joy. Even in, even in worship, even if, it, even if it drives us bonkers to have four songs where the intensity is up here, that's just what we're going to do. We're going to do that until it's, until it's more real than it already is. <clears throat> I could go on for the next 
five days about the things that the Lord has promised to us here. And so um, really just, it really just gets down to this point. It's like, you know, church, are we hungry for that? You know, is that, is that something we want? Or, you know, and here's the deal. Is it something that we want enough to be Jesus' disciple and follower to do that stuff, to do these things that he's promised? Or, or would we rather just be people who show up and get to experience the benefits, you know? I feel like one of the things the Lord is holding out to us right now is, hey, who, who here is into my promise over this church and my promise over this state enough to partner with me in that promise? <clears throat> who here, you know, and I feel like that's one of the things the Lord's saying to us. He's saying, you know, who here would like to be a mom and dad of revival in my state? You know? Who here, who here would like to, like to propagate sons and daughters of outpouring in my state? You know? As opposed to people who are open to a move of God. I'm open to it. If one happens, I'm, I'm open. I'll, I might even go, you know? I feel like the Lord's holding that out to us. Who, who here wants to be my disciple for kingdom of heaven, outpouring revival in Kentucky and at this church? Who here wants to be a mother and father in outpouring with me? Who wants to partner with me? Who, who is more than open? Who's hungry? I think that's what the Lord's saying. Who's, who's more than open? Who's hungry? And then right along with that, who, who's hungry enough to add, add the list that I gave us and then, you know, the 9,000 other things that the Lord's spoken to us? Who's hungry enough to add that to our regular part of our prayer life? Because prayer defines what we want. We pray for the things we want. We pray for the things that are important to us. You know? Is, is kingdom of heaven outpouring important to us? If it is, then, then add, add some of this, begin to press into some of these in our prayer. You know? I think the Lord wants to give us even some more insight on some of these things. Amen? Amen. All right, if you're on the, uh, if you're on the ministry team this morning, come on up.